0: Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk where you can find many more videos of interest to investors.
1: Thank you for joining us this afternoon. And Oracle Technologies, as you can see, is the company that I founded and I've led since we started up in August 2012. And I'm joined today by my colleague, Ian Richardson, the CFO. Ian, do you want to introduce yourself?
2: Hi. So, as Mitesh, uh said, I'm Ian Richardson. I joined uh, the business uh, in June last year. Having uh, prior to that, uh, spent a uh, number of years with a uh, private equity back business, uh, and prior to that, uh, in corporate finance in uh, regional practice. And for me, one of the the big attractions why I wanted to to join Mitesh and the team was uh, that chance to work with a business which has uh, both two significant areas of growth, both in the the domestic energy market and then uh, the global opportunity that our water business brings.
1: So as you can see, in our critical we have two divisions, Synergist Energy and Synergist Water. And the brand name under which we trade is Synergist. So Synergist Energy designs and delivers for clients heating and hot water systems. And Synergist Water basically improves water systems for clients. Our clients are a mixture of local authorities, energy, water utilities and private sector clients such as care rooms, hotels and leisure centres there. And across both divisions, our particular technology, HR 2024, plays a really important role there. What does our technology do? Well, it's a pressure-independent flow controller. Now, what that means is that when you look at water systems, the pressure is always changing. And therefore, the flow that comes out always varies a little bit there. And you can see that even in your own house. If you turn on the kitchen tap in the evening, as people in the house flush the toilet or your neighbor turns on his tap, etc., the volume of water coming out of the tap will change. What our product does and what our technology does, it eliminates the impact of those changes in pressure to give you a very even flow. And by doing so, this gives a very number of advantages, which we'll talk about in just a moment there. In terms of pattern protection, the technology has got good protection. We have a number of patterns across the products and individual elements of the products that have either been granted or are in the process being granted, as we speak, now. And because we've got R&D, which is ongoing, we're always refining and improving the product. It means that we're always generating new patent IP to protect the design and the technology at its core. So what does the ability to control the flow deliver? And I should have said, our technology is the only one that's accredited as being a pressure-independent flow controller. By the European Test House Kiva. Well, if you look at these case studies, you can see the impact. Let's start on the top left there. This is Affinity Water. They supply in North London and Hertfordshire in that area. And what they find is by using one of our products at the mains water inlet into properties, that based on water meter data, it reduced consumption by 26%. But householder's satisfaction with the water supply was over 98%. So, put it another way, people were really happy with their water supply after our product was installed. But actually, they were reducing consumption by over a quarter. The one on the right is Sodexo, and that's Greenwich University. And they installed it in their student accommodation blocks. And again, what they found is water savings of 30. 30 percent the one on the bottom right is palace Sol. this is a care room in spain and again you can see they made substantial water savings and finally the one on the bottom left this is a large hotel in spain and the problem there was slightly different now they're they're thermostatic showers in the hotel what they found is that customers their clients were complaining that the temperature in the shower would fluctuate because people would flush the bathrooms or use showers in adjoining rooms. The flow of water would change and therefore, the temperature coming out of the shower would vary by six to nine Celsius. By installing one of our products into the water flow going into each uh, room, what they found is the issue was eliminated effectively the fluctuations were reduced by over 90%, to the point that you couldn't detect it on the human skin. The manager in natural test was quite amazed and went around and flushing toilets in their joining rooms to try and make the thing blip, and he just couldn't do it. And in their own words, they were just amazed that the product worked and delivered what they wanted. So This is what the application actually delivers. Important water savings, but also improved user experience.
2: So then just sort of moving on to our our competitors. So if we start first at the bottom, uh, in terms of uh, the the water products, uh, all of those companies listed, the likes of uh, Forrest Honeywell, with the exception of Neopil, are all actually pressure control valves, some of which we do actually use in some of our energy uh, systems. Neopil is the only control flow device. But as test says, our product, our HL2024 product, is the only one that's been independently certified by the European test house, Kiwa. If we then look at uh, the water sector, again, with the exception of RPS, who are obviously a large PLC, and they focus on network infrastructure solutions, the rest of our competitors tend to be smaller companies or charities who focus on installing water-saving devices in high-consumption households. In terms of the energy sector, again, a wide range of competitors, typically all contractors, from large PLCs to regional companies. They, again, they they tend to focus solely on one solution as an answer to the client's problems, whereas because we're technology agnostic, we will aim to deliver the best solution for the client and their needs. So then moving on to talk a little bit about ESG, as you'd expect, given what we do, ASG is at the heart of everything we do. Our technologies and systems uh, help reduce our clients' energy consumption and their carbon emissions as they work towards achieving their net zero targets. At IPO, we applied for and were successful in gaining the LSE's green economy mark. As part of that process, over 99% of our revenue uh, was qual- qualified for this mark, and that's a ratio we don't expect to change moving forward. So just moving on to the larger two divisions, energy. So in energy,
1: what do we do with uh, for our clients? It's basically to meet their net zero targets. They've got to decarbonize their heating and not water supply. And although hydrogen is a technology that's emerging, it isn't there yet. So most people are looking at heat pump solutions there. So we work in uh, clients that have large numbers of blocks of flats there. Typically, when we're looking at systems that have come to end of life, and I should say we only work in retrofit. So these systems come to end of life. They have a lifetime of over 25 years. And our clients are determined and keen to basically install low-carbon solutions because they're conscious that the UK has net zero targets, already starting to come play from 2035. So the four options they typically look at are shown in that table there. If we at the bottom, some of the clients would still prefer to go to a modern gas-fired solution there. And that means gas plant room, as you can see in the image there, that supplies heating hot water to that block of flats. These are very high-efficient solutions there compared to legacy systems that typically use about 50% less gas. That's based on measured data for one of our clients, Cardiff City Council, across three years but they're still going to emit more carbon than moving to a heat pump solution. So the next one up is a hybrid where some of our clients like to keep the gas boilers but also install a heat pump as well. These ones have less carbon intensity, slightly more expensive, but again they're not the best one in terms of carbon intensity there. Some of our clients go to an air source heat pump only solution and I should say these are the little heat pumps you see outside individual homes. These are large industrial units that would supply heating and hot water to an entire block. And we'll show you an image of that in a slide coming up there. Again, very good, very solid system. But again, not the most efficient available. That one is the ground source heat pump. And the schematic is shown in the top right, where essentially we drill a borehole 150 metres down which we drop a pipe which is then got water and a salt mixture running through it that absorbs heat from the ground and supplies it to the individual flats and at each flight you've got a heat pump that concentrates that heat to heat up the radiators and provide a hot water solution that's very much like combi hot water so it's hot water on demand very very efficient and that to be honest is the one that most of our clients would highly like to get to so where they've got space constraints or there isn't the land available, then they're looking at a air source solution instead. So one of the questions we get asked is why do we win over 50% of the tenders that we enter into an energy? Well, really, it's around three things. Firstly, in terms of pricing, you know, our pricing is very good. You know, we're not the cheapest, but we offer very good value for money. But perhaps what really marks us out is about the quality of our work and our track record and you can see on the bottom right some of the quotes that people have given about us people are impressed by the quality of workmanship and the dedication and focus that we give on achieving the best result for them and the one on the top right gives you a couple of examples of this the first one was basically a very large project which we were renewing the system but the other tenders were quoting over 70 weeks to deliver the project and we deliver that in just over 45. In terms of disruption for residents, you know, we're, about, we're talking about changing people's eating and hot water system, Well, we tend to do that in about two days and some of our competitors take up to 14. Now, If you imagine it's your house or if you're uh, the landlord, your tenant you're dealing with, you can see how we are very, very attracted to them. The final thing is that we're on a number of frameworks. So some of these are where people are allocating work to us, et cetera, but others are frameworks which local authorities use to go out and basically procure work. So frameworks like Fusion 21 or Partnership for Housing. And essentially what the framework does, it creates a barrier to entry to other companies. These frameworks will run for four or five years. And essentially, if you're not on the framework, you can't bid for the work. So those are the three of the reasons why we have such a great track record in terms of tenders. This is the case study I was mentioning earlier about heat pumps. You can see on the top right the commercial heat pumps that are installed in this large leisure centre. And this is the sort of big heat pump systems that we were talking about when we were powering blocks of flats there. They're very different, they work much more efficiently, and you don't get the sort of situation or issues. That you sometimes hear about with domestic pumps Now, in this particular example, you can see in the timeline that we started work in March 2021 in terms of physical delivery. But the actual work that we began on this project was in June 2020, nearly 10 months earlier. And that's typical of the projects that we do in energy. We have great forward visibility of the work that we are doing. This is a project that was also affected by supply chain disruption. You know, like every other company, we've been affected by extended lead times and the like. In this particular case, it was the supply of the heat pumps where the delivery timeline went from 30 days to 120. And what we did was we rechecked the program, brought other elements forward. We discussed and agreed with the client, so we actually paid for the heat pumps early on. Which the client reimbursed us, so there's no working capital hit. But it meant the entire project got delivered to budget and to time. And that's essentially the approach that we take. We have multiple suppliers for our products. We anticipate and expect disruption. And thereby doing so, we minimize disruption for clients and make sure we hit targets. So, moving on to water now, water is the smaller division by revenue. But it is very important in terms of the overall contribution to the company there. So as we talked about earlier with the case studies, you can see that we've got some great project case studies with a range of those clients that you can see in the top right there. Now, water was affected by COVID. A lot of our clients basically had to shut down and because of the COVID risks, delay works. So we are two years behind where we'd want to be. But because we've got the case studies now, and we've refined our product set to meet what clients really require. We're now really focused on the sales piece there. One of things that we did at IPO when we came there to the market last year, last autumn, was explain that we have products in place in development for the agritech sector there. And some of you may have seen that we had an RNS very recently where we announced our first major in India. Basically, it was just over a million pounds delivering zero-carbon irrigation systems for the state of Uttarakhand. Now, those irrigation products will come to Spain for accreditation into Europe this year, with the view that we'll have pilot projects running probably at the early next year, piece there, before moving on to really push out into this sector the year after. So, where's our future growth coming from? Well, clearly, it's around climate change and the water stress that's occurring as a result of it there. Now, the chart on the top right shows you individual country targets towards meeting net zero there. And the reason we're showing that is that sometimes when people talk about climate change, they sometimes feel that the debate is still going. But actually, we've moved beyond the debate. Countries are now setting hard and fast targets and are putting in incentives, and there's real investment going on. To reduce carbon emissions right now. So, this is happening as we speak. Something around water, fish around water stress, it attracts less newspaper attention, but the regulators are really alert to it. And as you can see on that image at the bottom, water stress affects many countries around the world. And again, what we're seeing now is regulatory targets to improve water efficiency and reduce water consumption coming forward there. What does that mean for us practically in the here and now? Well, Let me start with the pie chart in the top left there. So typically we're going to looking at the first three segments of that pie chart. And this is basically social housing in the UK, so apartments only in social housing. And this is the spend on renewing the heating and hot water systems. And the top three were the ones we would typically be working on there. The dark blue segment are the properties that have individual gas boilers. Because of the climate change targets and net zero, our clients are now saying to us, they really want to take out the individual gas boilers if they can. So our market size has now grown from those first three segments to now starting to grow right through that pie chart. And that's happening right now. There is an increased cost that our clients face. And to help breach that cost, the UK government has brought in a number of incentive programs. And some of those are shown in the top right in that table there. This is happening right now. Similarly, in Europe, you've got similar incentives and similar desires by clients. And when we came to IPO, one of the things we said is that we're going to expand to Europe our energy offering, and we're in the process of identifying some target acquisition to allow us to go and extend our services in that area. We've already spoken to some potential clients there, and they're very interested in what we do. So, again, this is happening right now. It's not pie in the sky, it's not in the future. This is investment decisions that our clients are looking to make as we speak. And if you look at water. And water for us, is, we think, is a global opportunity. On energy, our focus is the UK and Europe. But water, we think, globally, because water stress affects an awful lot of the globe there. So again, because of water stress, regulators are requiring more efficient solutions and less use of water. People have no choice in many countries but to reduce water consumption. Through HR 2024, we've got product sets there that deliver substantial water benefits for clients. And therefore, based on the case studies and what we've proven, our focus in water is really to push out and to sell. And our strategy into expanding internationally is basically to go with our clients. So we're working with clients in the UK and in Spain, but they've got facilities in other countries. And they're already talking to us about saying that, actually, could we come and improve those facilities as well? And as we can deliver those projects for them, our plan is to set up a sales team in that area and go and talk to other hotels, leisure centres, etc., etc., in those countries, and basically expand our footprint in that way. Targeted, focused, but I said, it's a global opportunity.
2: Just to sort of touch on some of the areas that Mitesh mentioned there in terms of how we're actually going to achieve that growth plan, be a combination of organic and inorganic growth. That organic growth will see us uh, focus on uh, building those relationships with our existing clients within the energy side of the business, as well as uh, targeting new clients either through direct awards from themselves or through new framework agreements on the water side we expect that to become a material part of the business by fy24 as we look to build on the relationships we have with some of the uk water companies and increase our product offering in spain in addition we also will look at new product development like the agritech product that matesh mentioned which we've recently won a contract in india and we'd expect that actually to come to trial in europe this summer and hopefully then build on from that. In terms of that inorganic growth, as Mitesh said, that's likely to be via MA. Uh, typically sort of two strands to that, whether it be uh, the strategic bolt-on acquisitions, similar to the acquisition we made uh, last year, the well drilling uh, company, uh, and there we'd identified that actually within the UK market, one of the key requirements for ground source heat pump system installation is the ability to dr- drill the boreholes required for the system and there's actually a shortage of skilled drilling companies and drill rigs within the UK uh, and that's why we acquired WellFirm to give us our own in-house capabilities to meet our own requirements uh, and then in addition we'll also look at that geographic expansion that Matesh mentioned probably initially looking at Northern Europe, somewhere like Germany or the Netherlands, who have similar regulatory requirements to that of the UK. The, The finance side of things, as you can see there, that's our latest numbers. And over the last three years, we've seen revenue growth of circa 30%. Revenue comes from, as I mentioned, either direct awards or framework agreements, we typically invoice on a monthly basis based on certified valuations, and that in turn ensures that actually we receive payment from our clients on 30 days, which we then able to mirror with our suppliers. Our FY 22 results we expect to announce those during June, and those will be in line with the FinCAP research note, which was published at the time of IPO, which can be found on Research Tree. And I'll just
1: then hand you back to Matash to finish. Thanks. Thanks Ian. So in summary, you know, why in iCrow? Well, hopefully uh, you've seen that we work in areas which are high growth opportunities there. Just on heat pumps, you can see on the image on the top right, the heat pump market is expected to grow substantially, just in the UK only uh, in the coming years there. On the water, again, we can see great opportunities there. And our technology has got very strong IP protection. Secondly, our track record. Again, you can see from our clients themselves what they say about us. We've got a great track record in delivering, achieving outcomes for our clients that really blow their socks off. And that creates a basis to expand the offering as we go forward there. And financially, we're very strong. Of compound annual growth rates, we're growing at over 38%. And as Ian just described, you know, we can see the opportunity, we've got the resources to go and execute that
0: growth as you speak. So those are the three reasons we think it's worth looking at ours. And we have one question here. Are there any more states in India you're talking to other than Atarakhand for more agritech sector contracts or any other countries like the UAE and Saudi?
1: Sure, it's a very good question there. Um, our focus is in India at the moment, there, and there are the conversations that are going on there. We haven't expanded internationally yet. Our plan is to, as say, bring the products into Spain this year for testing and accreditation in Europe. And then our focus will be in Europe in the first instance.
0: Thank you. And do ground source heat pumps really work?
1: Again, it's a good question then. Ground source heat pumps do work, but you've got to think about it as a complete system. It's sometimes people think of the heat pump as being a white box and that doesn't really work there. If you imagine what you're looking at is you've got a system that's going to extract the heat from the ground and then pump it up in terms of the warmed water which the heat pump then concentrates. If you don't design the entire system correctly, including the borehole, then that system is not going to operate and you're going to get into problems. And you may see that in some cases where you see newspaper headlines of uh, ground source heat pump systems freezing over and not supplying heat in winter. The reason that's happened is because the entire system design is not extracting enough heat from the ground. And that's really one of the differentiations between the systems we design and some of our competitors, where we don't try and scrimp on those costs because it ensures that delivery of the the outcome when you most need it, which of course is winter.
0: Thank you. And why are there articles claiming that ground source heat pumps are not efficient alternatives to existing heating solutions? The different
1: systems. I, mean, I don't know why people make such statements, etc. but what they're talking about is how many kilowatt, for each kilowatt hour of electricity that goes into a heat pump, how many kilowatt terms of heat come out. So if you imagine for a gas system, if you burn one kilowatt hour of gas that's come into it, like for the efficiency of the gas boiler, you'd get about 0.9 out there. The thing about a heat pump is that one kilowatt hour electricity is converted to between three and six kilowatt terms of heat. The electricity is more expensive than gas. So in terms of cost effectiveness, that can still not be the most cost effective there. But the reason why people are moving to heat pumps is because of carbon emissions, heat pumps are much better solution. However, again, it comes down to the design of the system. If you haven't designed it correctly, And unfortunately, that system won't work as well. And to be fair, that applies to a gas system as well as it does to a heat pump solution.
0: Thank you. And it sounds like energy and heat pumps is the most exciting area. The market's growing fast. Can Eneraqua grow as fast?
1: That's a very good question then. Well, we are recruiting people in there. So it's a piece of organic growth that's going on for us there. Uh, And that growth uh, in terms of recruiting people um, is happening and and, uh, we're not seeing any problems there. I think what's fair to say is a lot of engineers are very keen to get into new technologies. And because of our company culture and, and the way we work, actually people like to work with us. In terms of our staff turnover and the like, it's pretty low, to be honest with you. So right now as a company, we are growing. Financially, we have the strength, as Ian explained, the way we work, so that side of it, we don't see any issues going forward. We may see opportunities for some bought-on acquisitions, we want to get into perhaps nearby markets and the like there. But by and large, this is an organic growth piece for us there.
0: Thank you very much. And I've heard that the vertical boreholes are less reliable than horizontal applications as used in GSHP. Could you comment please?
1: I think that'll be an incorrect analysis that you may have read there. The issue with a shallow trench piece there is that because that's only roughly about two meters below the ground, the temperature variation uh, in that level is greater in the ground between summer and winter there as you drill the borehole down to 150 meters that temperature variation is much more steady so actually your performance of borehole is a lot better if you have a thread. the performance of ground source heat pump with the borehole rather than a slinky is a lot better and more predictable than the other solution there
0: can a heat pump work well if there's open land next to the heat pump? And what happens in big houses or with a factory?
1: With air source heat pumps, which extract heat from the air. The requirement on that we always say to clients is those need higher insulation levels in the property. The ground source heat pump solution uh, is more flexible in that sense. But again, a level of basic level of insulation is required. It can work in terms of borehole drilling. Uh, We fit in urban areas, for example, in Leeds, which are fitting ground-source heat pumps with boreholes there. In terms of commercial plants, yes, indeed, you can use borehole solutions. Commercial plants can also use boreholes to extract water as well. So there's there's already a basis for that solution there. So the application is wide and available. but as I say, it can also be used as an aerosol solution if you've got suitable insulation in the property already.
0: Thank you very much. And from a staffing perspective, how are you able to deliver the increasing number of projects required to meet your growth targets? Do you use a large amount of subcontract labor?
1: The actual installation, not like the pipework, work, cetera, is all done by subcontractors. Our focus is basically on the design, the engineers that actually manage the project on-site, project managers and the like, and essentially providing that turnkey solution piece. But the actual fitting of the pipework and fitting of the radiators is all done by subcontractors based there. So we tend to recruit engineers and project managers, and essentially the way we work is we're recruiting them up even as you speak. And we're growing very, very quickly in terms of that space. But that was part of our plans and our HR division Uh, was geared up to achieve that outcome.
0: Thank you. And what is the difference between ground source pumps and air source pumps?
1: Sure, it's a very good question. So, that visual we showed you showed you a borehole. Basically, we were pumping in a closed-loop water and salt mixture down 150 metres. And that essentially was absorbing heat from the ground and basically pumping that back into the individual property We had a heat pump inside the property that concentrated that heat to provide heat to the radiators uh, in the property there. And that was a typical heat uh, radiator that you'd see in your property, just slightly larger than a gas system in terms of radiator size. An air source heat pump doesn't have the borehole. What it does, it extracts heat from the air and concentrates that heat in the heat pump that supplies into the property. So what it means is that it doesn't get the radiator as hot, and therefore the radiators are slightly bigger than for a ground source heat pump solution. Both heat pumps really work well with an underfloor, but typically in retrofit, underfloor can be difficult to achieve because people have got carpets etc. They don't want to go and disturb. So both can work with radiators, but in blocks of flats, a ground source heat pump solution is the better one to use.
0: Thank you very much. And is there any recurring element to your revenues?
1: We don't do maintenance. Uh, and the reason we don't do maintenance is because that's a very low margin activity area there. But our recurring revenues, basically, you imagine our clients have multiple systems. So, for example, one of our London clients has over 90 uh, systems in blocks of flats, etc. Each system has a 20, 25 year lifetime. So you can imagine every year, they've got a number of systems that need to be renewed. And we sit on a framework with them and we go and deliver the works as and when they come up. So our recurring revenue and energy is more in the sense of doing the next set of projects as those systems are falling over. In the water side, our products have long lifetimes. uh, So they are a fit and forget solution with a lifetime nexus of 10
0: years there. Thank you. And do you expect significant changes in the technology for heat pumps? Um,
1: There's almost improvements that are going on, but I think it's going to be in the entire system, and probably the changes we will see. How do you combine heat pumps with other renewable tech, etc., such as solar thermal and the like, to basically improve performance? So I think the way we will be seeing it is the integration of other technologies. To deliver even better benefits for the residents and for the outcome and to cut their carbon emissions even further but the actual pump technology i think we will see some incremental improvements but i don't think we, we should expect any breakthrough changes coming forward
0: thank you what are your goals in zero carbon agriculture
1: So in zero carbon agriculture then the solution that we have basically what we're trying to do is make sprinkler systems more efficient And what they found was actually in India, you could also make drip feed systems also more efficient so that the amount of water used is substantially reduced there. And what we can then do is pair it up with a solar-powered water pump there and a small solar array. So it allows the farmer to basically come off grid-powered electricity and use solar arrays to power the irrigation system. So, not not only is it water sustainable, but it's also zero carbon as well.
0: Tremendous, thank you very much. And that's the end of questions. Mitesh, do you have any closing remarks?
1: Tamsin, can I just say thank you to all the listeners and viewers, and uh, thank you for your time and the opportunity to speak to you today.